0: Welcome to Waiting to Download with Jerry and Jess. Our podcast tackles issues of race and gender in tech. We are Christian women of color who want to share our stories and equip and empower other women of color whose stories often go
1: untold, unshared, or are outright disregarded. Though tech careers are plentiful and rewarding, there are often barriers and hurdles for women of color. Join us as we dig into issues of inequities, biases, and injustices that we've been waiting to download. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Jess.
0: What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about addressing the elephant in the room. Ooh, what is the elephant in the room? Well, let's start with what Wikipedia says it is. The expression elephant in the room or elephant in the living room is a metaphorical idiom in English for an important or enormous topic, problem, or risk. That's obvious or that everyone knows about, but no one mentions or wants to discuss because Mm. it makes at least some of them uncomfortable, personally, socially, or politically embarrassing, controversial, inflammatory, or dangerous. It's based on the idea or thought that something as conspicuous as an elephant can appear to be overlooked in codified social interactions and that the social psychology of repression also operates at the same macro scale.
1: Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> Huge, right? <laughs> uh, so the elephant in the room we're tackling today is what race and gender in tech. Great, it's great, and that is what our podcast is about, after all. When you mentioned that, I think immediately I think about the Google Manifesto that came out a few years ago with James Damore writing a memo. What were your thoughts on that? Just curious when you heard about it and. How did you react? Well, initially, I thought, seriously, this guy could not be
0: too uh, bright. That is such an old argument. That is the argument that was used to justify slavery in the U.S. and justify, you know, conquering people and taking their land and, and, you know, again, just enslaving people. And I'm thinking, in the year 2017, you couldn't come up with a real manifesto like, dude— that is such an old playbook, it's not even funny. So, you know, that was my initial reaction. But then after that, you know, I kind of got a, a, a little, uh, I guess, perturbed, I'd say. But I was not surprised about the source. I wasn't surprised what he said and how he said it and how he framed it. But it's such an old argument, and it has been debunked time and time and time again. So why he wasted his time writing a manifesto or memo or whatever it was called that got him fired i guess that was really the news that was <laughs> you know you know him trying to use that old argument was just it was a waste
1: yeah i think it was sad that he wrote it but i i also felt like the same way where i wasn't surprised and i think what struck me though was how it represented probably some of the hidden thoughts that people had that they weren't verbally saying right, to each other and, and certainly not to people they work with. And so in some ways he was just making it known that that's what he thought. And it's kind of like, well, you know, maybe keep that to yourself. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think it was more of a, an indicator, I guess, of what, how people really thought of things and how prevalent that still was in our society today. Now, what did surprise me,
0: and I guess it should not have, was the fact that his subsequent firing mm-hmm. and him, the, the company not wanting him to make such statements was viewed as reverse discrimination. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: yeah yeah i I thought that, you know the the whole reverse discrimination thing is a very white-centric uh, view, right? it's It's the whole uh, victim uh, victimization, white fragility mm-hmm. perspective.
0: Yeah. Do you think that impacts how you're perceived, you know, when you show up to work as an Asian woman?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as an Asian Pacific American woman, I'm very conscious of how I show up, particularly how I look and my voice, my tone and how I present myself. Just as an example, uh, I I had an interview a few years ago where the phone interview went really well Mm -hmm. and um, even the initial interview with the hiring manager was just stellar. Where he was trying to think of like two different jobs for me, and they were both director level positions. Mm. And so I was really flattered. And the the in person interview came, and that day in particular, I was feeling very com- comfortable in my own skin, and in, <laughs> pardon the pun, and I also <laughs> feeling very comfortable in my femininity. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something I probably shouldn't have done. I wore uh, a pink silk shirt Mm -hmm. and red uh, pencil skirt. Mm -hmm. So it was very feminine Mm -hmm. and um, very—I thought it was a power move that I was uh, wearing red. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, my panel of folks that interviewed me were all white men. Mm. And needless to say, it didn't go very well that I was dressed the way I was dressed. I felt like they wanted to pick my brain because they kept asking me for my opinion on things. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't see me in a director position because of the way I looked. And I realized that day that um, I should be careful and should pay closer attention to what I wear and and almost tone it down a lot and not be as feminine and definitely not think that red is an appropriate color to wear <laughs> during interviews So that's, it wasn't an eye-opening experience. It was Mm -hmm. just the most probably highlighted one where Mm -hmm. it was so obvious Mm -hmm. uh, because it was just such a drastic difference between how I was perceived before when they couldn't see me Mm -hmm. and then how I was perceived after they saw me. Very interesting. So
0: do you think it was the fact that it was a skirt or that it was red? Probably both. Probably both. I remember reading an article on the Medium. In the article, the author was a woman, and she stated that the other interviewees, the the folks on the panel, the interview panel, uh, when they saw the person come in for an interview, and it was a male that was coming in for an interview, he had on a suit. Hmm. And because he had on a suit, they assumed that he was overcompensating and he didn't have that much to offer in terms of his knowledge. And the article later went on to say that if you have time to be concerned with fashion and hair and makeup and things of that nature, then you don't have any time or or capacity, I guess mental capacity, to really focus Mm. on the technical aspects of the job. And I find that so short-sighted. Women are just not that binary where it's what I wear or, you know, what I know and what I can do, I find that extremely sad and interesting at the same time that our clothing, first we've got our color and we've got our gender, but now we got to worry about our clothing.
1: And I think the perception that I've gotten also, you know, with just the way... I dress or the way I come across is to not be taken seriously, both because of my height, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm not that tall, mm-hmm. and then the gender and uh, and race put together, so the intersection of the two, mm-hmm. where if they just saw me, they would immediately think I could be dismissed, I'm not strategic, mm-hmm. I don't have a voice, mm-hmm. I'm submissive. All these stereotypes that you hear about. Uh, with Asian Pacific American women, were put on me even before I, I opened my mouth. That's interesting that you would say that, you know, about your height and things
0: of that nature. So I often wore skirts and dresses to work because huh. that's, that's what I was comfortable in. Yeah. And I I really didn't care what anybody thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was very—I'm 5'6". And, you know, I'm not a thin person at all, but I was very cognizant of wearing flats hmm. because I didn't want to appear too tall exactly and, and too powerful and too strong and too overbearing or things like that. Because, hmm. you know, we both know, or at least, you know, we've had discussions offline, obviously, mm-hmm. about our appearances and, and the stereotypes and how people perceive us. That's right. Um, and so it's, it's almost as if it's two sides of the same coin,
1: mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. don't
0: want to appear too short, and I don't want to appear too tall, you, you know? So that's...
1: Yeah, and I don't want to appear passive right. and submissive, and you don't want to appear too strong. And aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, what about for you? Are there any other um, physical things that happen when you show up and how you're perceived? Or not perceived.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I may have covered this in another episode. So if I have, forgive me. But I'll never forget. So I used to wear, when I first moved to Washington State and started working for a big software company, I wore my hair natural and I had um, locks. Hmm. And that's a a natural hairstyle that African-American women wear all the time. And for whatever reason, I started losing hair. And so I cut them off, and I started wearing a wig. And I'll never forget the day one of my Caucasian colleagues saw me. Mm-hmm. You know, his reaction was like, oh, my gosh, Jerry, your hair.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, and I got that quite a bit. And I'm going, I personally didn't think it looked better than my locks. <laughs> but, you know, that's me. You know, I it was it was just interesting because— up until that point, he had never commented, he or anyone had ever commented on my hair, how I wore it, how I styled it, whether it looked good or whether it did not. Mm -hmm. But the moment, you know, I showed up with draider hair, you know, I suddenly, it was like, I went from being invisible to visible,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? And so that was very interesting to me. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think, As far as hair, though, I can relate, but more on the opposite end where I feel like I don't want my hair to get noticed Mm -hmm. because that's all, you know, that's like one of the things that they'll notice and pay attention to and Mm -hmm. comment on. Mm -hmm. And it embarrasses me, but also makes me think, what else are you thinking (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) about me right now, you know, that you're not saying or you're thinking in the back of your head? So, yeah, I think the the interesting thing to me as I hear your your story is that even though we have different and opposite perception issues that we're getting from other people there's an impact that's pretty similar in that we can't really be ourselves. True. We can't come in and show up the way we want to show up. We have to be very cognizant of how we're perceived and hide in some ways. Who we are. very true. very true. and
0: and in many ways, I would say we're both flying under the radar, trying not to be noticed for our physical, mm-hmm. whether it be the color of our skin, the texture of our hair, our height, our weight, mm-hmm. you know those are all the obvious things that we see. And maybe it's human nature to want to, you know, look at someone and categorize them or classify them.
1: Well, it's not good human nature, if that's what that is. Um, I think that it's true that we all have our biases, but having to deal with both gender and race when we walk into the room is pretty tiring. It is. And especially since they don't really represent all of who we are or it's not wanted, the, the reaction we get. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, this comp- compilation of that on a day-to-day basis is pretty tiring.
0: And, like you said, we can't show up fully as ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to, often we have to, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we don't, but often we have to do things, say things, or behave in a way that makes others comfortable. Mm-hmm. Whether it makes us uncomfortable or not is not even a consideration. Yeah. Because it really impacts how we're perceived. Whether or not we are invited to important discussions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and whether we're seen as leadership material or not. I mean, I think that the other thing that comes to mind is skills, right? I think along with the looks and how we dress and hairstyle and all that, what what do you think are some of the common misconceptions? Perception or conceptions about your skills. Oh, gosh, I've heard several times. You're not technical. You're not
0: technical enough. Hmm. No one can ever quite articulate or explain what that means because technical is such a broad term. But, and I, you know, I'm not the only one. I've talked to other women of color, and they've gotten the same thing. Oh, you're not technical enough. Never mind the fact that you have a bachelor's and a master's in electrical engineering. You're just not technical enough. Mm. And the person saying it may or may not have a degree at all. <laughs> or the experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know? But it's, it, again, it's those code words. It's mm-hmm. those ways mm. in which we are discouraged. And prejudged
1: yeah, and then how no matter how hard you prove yourself you you're still dealing with that stigma, right, because, as we could see from James daymore,
0: no matter what, no matter what you do, what you say, how you present yourself, yeah, you're a woman, you're just not that technical, yeah, you you're biologically really, not exactly. able to handle complicated work, exactly, you should go somewhere and. Be a secretary, or something. Not that there's anything wrong with being a secretary, it's honorable work. Yeah, it's um, just the technical
1: skills. Exactly. We're about. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the assumption with my skills is that I can do the tactical stuff. Mm-hmm. I can do the grunt work, the cheap labor, the repetitive, um, low level stuff, mm-hmm. but I can't do strategic, mm-hmm. high level. High level stuff that's stuff. reserved for the big boys, <laughs> exactly, exactly, and so it was it was really interesting and and for a while, I you know when you hear so much of that and it's compounded over decades mm-hmm. as I'm pretty old, <laughs> it I started to believe it. I started to go, oh, maybe they're right, maybe I'm not that strategic, and I'm not that high level thinker mm-hmm. that I think I am and it wasn't until. A few years ago when I had to interview and look for work and I interviewed with, I had about 70 interviews in a span of nine months, both phone and in person with many, many different companies. Mm -hmm. And it's not an experience I would recommend for anyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) by any means, but because I went through it and there were these really big uh, successful companies and people that I talked to that kept saying to me, we want to pick your brain. I want to pick your brain on this issue or that issue. To the point where I was like, man, my brain must be wanted because they keep asking me to, you know, for my advice or my my experience. But on the other hand, what's interesting about it is that even though they wanted to pick my brain, they didn't give me an offer. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so that says something in that it's not that I don't have the mental capacity mm-hmm. or the experience or the ability. It's just basically I don't want the package mm-hmm. that it came in.
0: That's, that's a great explanation of it. It's the packaging. It's not the content. It's the packaging.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so what do we do with all that? I think the, the hard part about the elephant in the room is once you talk about it, what, what actually can we do? And and what we've been doing is kind of coping, mm-hmm. right? In some ways, and and trying to fly under the radar, like you said, and and trying to prove our skills. And sometimes that's successful, and sometimes not. Well, for me, I guess I would
0: say continue being who you are. Hmm. That's the only way, and. You know, it's probably uncomfortable. You get tired. It's exhausting, absolutely exhausting to always be prejudged and second-guessed and just always having to prove yourself. But I think it's important to know that this is not just about us. This is about the next generation and the generation after that mm-hmm. and our children and our grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren. The only way we're going to change it really is by not giving up.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. And and I do think you're right about being ourselves and being our authentic selves. You yeah, know, as you mentioned, it's not good for this to continue. It's not how God created us. It's not right for us to be judged based on those things that are not true about us. Now and, and not only that, it's not beneficial
0: for the companies, right? People want to see themselves reflected in the products that they buy. Mm-hmm. The products that they use, the television shows that they watch. We want to see ourselves. And so if you're going to continue to grow and expand your reach. You're going to have to do something that attracts other people. And the status quo is not that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Google definitely paid some heavy costs there with this Google Manifesto going out. And, and I think they're still trying to respond to that in different ways mm-hmm. with different scandals that have happened and uh, different lawsuits that have happened since then. So it's costly to not address it, but I think the benefits, like you said, is, is more than just to the company, but also to larger society and being able to connect people and connect to your audience and connect to your customers. Yeah, well, I guess what Google has going for them
0: is that they print money. <laughs> <laughs> Between maps and uh, search, they're in ads, they're printing money, so it, it's, it affects them, but probably not to the degree... In terms of their reputation, as it does, you know, financially or vice versa, right? The say, yeah. the
1: the impact is more around reputation and mm-hmm. being able to hire uh, women of color, right? Talent yeah. Yeah. Um, versus just the standard people that they already have, right? And so, do you have any inspiring women that you can think of that just are their authentic selves? I know a lot of them. I don't know that they want to be called out by
0: name on my podcast, <laughs> but I know a lot of them, and I really try to talk to them, hmm. you know, have them as mentors and guides and all that stuff. I can think of a couple that are pretty high up, and I guess, I don't know, for, for those that don't know me, Michelle Obama would be one of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought you and Michelle were BFF. <laughs>
0: Only in my mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I think about, like, even the the women in uh, Hidden Figures Mm -hmm. and how inspiring their stories were. Mm -hmm. But also that for so many years until the book and the movie came out, we didn't really know about them. Exactly. And yet they were so pivotal and so instrumental in the space age and Mm -hmm. how we were successful
0: and that's a good point right that underscores they continued to be who they were which was intelligent
1: mm-hmm.
0: women mm-hmm. doing doing their work in spite of in spite of being segregated and having all sorts of barriers mm-hmm. thrown at them and obstacles they continued to be human computers and mathematicians in spite of what was thought of them because of their race or their gender.
1: Yeah, and and I think what inspired me about their story, too, is that there were people of faith, mm-hmm. women of faith, mm-hmm. and even though they were treated wrongly, for example, by that white woman that was the supervisor mm-hmm. um, of the human computers, right? Mm-hmm. they were not promoted, not seen as supervisor-worthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At the end, there was a point in the story where they still help them out, still help the white women out. Mm-hmm. Right? So they didn't hold a grudge or retaliated despite being treated unfairly. And I do think that that speaks to their character and to their faith, that mm-hmm. you know, even though we may suffer these things, there's a point of voicing and, and being upfront about inequity and, and injustice. Mm-hmm. But to love our enemies, that's... That's totally something radical and biblical. That is radical. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But you know what? Because they showed up as themselves and continued to be who they were and were professional and educated and all that, we are now reaping the benefits of their work. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not just other women of color that are reaping the benefits. It's women in general. It's mm-hmm. it's society in general, right? They were involved in the space race. They, you know, mm-hmm. were involved with NASA.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, that's huge. But had they allowed someone's stupid comments <laughs> to stop Bring them in them their down. tracks? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, we have a few women that uh, we know of and that we'll continue to talk to in our episodes that are definitely inspiring, but also have stories to share. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be interesting to tackle this even more in the future, um, this whole intersection of gender and race. Agreed. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and I hope that you continue to listen to our upcoming episodes as we tackle different issues related to race and gender in tech. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe and leave your comments. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in today. If you're enjoying our podcast, hit the like
0: button and subscribe. You can also follow us on social media at Waiting to Download on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, and even your enemies. Waiting to Download is a podcast about race and gender in the tech industry. Opinions are our own and do not represent any
1: organization we are part of.